Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 27. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am extremely excited to introduce my special guest today, Don Weberg. Don, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Affirmative, ready to go. Okay, great. Don Weberg is editor and publisher of Garage Style Magazine. It's a publication devoted entirely to garages and collections. This fantastic magazine also covers automotive collectibles, automobilia, Petroliana, Neon, Porcelain, and much more. They share great ideas that make our favorite room in the house, the garage, a wonderful place to exist and have fun. Don has been an automotive enthusiast his entire life and brings his enthusiasm for all things in the garage through his publication. Don, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you, so please take some time and share some more about your history, your business, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles. Sure. Thanks very much for having me on the show, first off. I really appreciate the opportunity. I think you're doing a great job out there. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, No, I started Garage Style. Uh, It was an idea in my head. I was a freelancer for several years, uh, writing different articles for business-to-business magazines as well as uh, consumer, business-to-consumer magazines like Motor Trend or uh, Classic Motorsport, one of those uh, books. And I would meet people literally every day who had some sort of special interest car. And nine times out of ten, they had a really nice garage uh, to go with that car. And a couple of times, I had connected some people uh, with one another. You know, one gentleman had a nice uh, Ferrari, for example, and he had a horrible garage in which to keep it. And I had met a guy with a 57 Chevy convertible who had built a, uh, a diner, a 50s diner around the Chevy. And uh, the guy with the Ferrari was interested in having a nicer garage. So I called the Chevy guy said, hey, let's get together. He wants to see your Rolodex. And it worked out really well. And, yeah, it, it's one of those things where, I mean, I, I think I've told you in other conversations, I don't really have a favorite car. It's very, very hard for me to select a favorite car. When I was growing up, I was in a Ford family. And um, I kind of came out as the oddball. My second word in life was Camaro. And uh, as dismayed <laughs> as my father was, yeah, as dismayed as my father was, he was actually just happy to, you know, know okay, he's a car guy. You know, that that's what matters. And uh, I grew up uh, loving everything pretty much. Uh, there's only a few cars out there that I just scratch my head and wonder what they were thinking of in the design room. Yeah, I, uh, I I have a hard time answering that question. So when it comes down to going to work for a magazine, um, you know, I was better off freelance because I could write for different cars. I could write, or write about different cars, rather, for different magazines and have a great time, you know, talking to all kinds of different uh, car enthusiasts. So when it came to starting a magazine, which I'd always wanted to do, uh, it made sense. You know, why not start a magazine that talks about garages? There's not one out there. There are no other magazine out there that talks about garages and collections. And this would pretty much put you smack in the middle of 
all the enthusiasts and all the collectors. You'd you'd be you know in a room with a Ferrari guy one hour, and the next next hour you're in a room with a Lamborghini guy. And you know the funnest thing in the world for me is to take a Lamborghini guy and a Ferrari guy or a Chevy guy and a Ford guy and introduce them to each other and have them show one another their garages because it's it's a lot of fun to see the camaraderie you know, between two guys who are normally maybe pecking at each other because, you know, they have the opposite automobile. Like I say, not having a real favorite car, liking everything, it's hard for me to, you know, I could have a Camaro in my driveway today and tomorrow have a Mustang, and people are confused. They think, what's wrong with you? I say, well, they both have different personalities, but they're very much the same kid. I I just like playing ball with both of them. And, (laughs) you know, they don't don't get that a lot of times. You know, so it's, it's fun to try to teach them you know, through their garages, see, we are, we are all pretty much the same guy. We, we, we just happen to gravitate to different vehicles. It doesn't mean one is really better than the other. It's just, you know, it's just uh, what we gravitate to. Sure. In meeting so many people with unique and different garages, you must have come across all sorts of, of different ideas and thoughts. And that's what I enjoy about your magazine is it gives you ideas of what you could do in your garage, seeing what other people are doing. In some cases, maybe it's a garage you could never really afford, but you could think about or, or do one or two little things in your own garage and some ideas to share. So it must be pretty fun not only meeting car guys, car people, but seeing the environments that they've created around their passion and their joy. Yeah, that that really is the most fun about it. In fact, just um day before yesterday, I was up in a town called Altadena, which is near Pasadena out here in Los Angeles area. They like the 1936 to 1940 Ford. Uh that's their their little collection. They've got six or seven of them. Uh and then out of the blue, they have a 50 Buick Roadmaster station wagon that just absolutely boggles the mind. It's so gorgeous, but it also boggles the mind because it's so out of place. You know, here's all these, you know, early Fords, and here's this one stellar Buick just smack in the middle of all of it. Um, but for some reason, they, they liked it, they enjoyed it, they bought it, and uh, now now they're actually looking to sell it. You know, you go from that, and, and it, it is a nice garage. It's a long, it's essentially a set of four two-car garages just jammed together, you know, linked internally through, you know, human doorways. Uh, but, yeah, you go from something like that, to just to drop a name, you know, Jay Leno's garage. I think we can all agree Jay Leno's pretty much the king of <laughs> you know, garages. Yeah, I mean, the guy, you know, he just built a collection that uh, is mind-boggling. Uh, the first time that I saw it, it literally, I, I was I walked in the door and I was just, I really was kind of weak-kneed and short of breath. I, it was just, it was so big and everything in it was so big. But I'll tell you, the challenge that I see or I run into most often, a lot of people who are enthusiastic, they're good car guys, they've got a nice garage, they'll see something like a Jay Leno garage or, you know, one of those very, very expensive high-end garages and they'll think to themselves, well, I can't, I can't do that. I can't have that. No, you can't. But what can you do with what you have? And that's where the magic starts to come in. We met a gentleman at a car show years ago, and actually, I take that back. I'm wrong. Uh, he, he approached us online. He sent me an email through the magazine, and it had a photograph of his garage, and it was a typical L-shaped home. So your garage is kind of front and center, you know, out in the front yard, and then the house is kind of set back on the left or the right. 
It was a two-car standard American garage, and inside he had his 70 Corvette, bright silver, black interior, you know, absolutely gorgeous car. And all around it, he had all kinds of, of crazy, you know, don't walk, walk signs. He had, um, you know, the fire, uh, the fi- you know, for, for emergency pull here. He had the police call box. He had all the road signs, turn left, do not enter, this, that, and the other. And it was the way it was presented. One thing that struck me was all those electrical situations that he had in there, none of them had cords. They were all hardwired into the wall. Wow. So there were no cords hanging around, plugged in over here, plugged in over there. No, it turned out he was a professional contractor. So what he did was he figured out where he wanted something, designed it into the wall, and then he ran the wire in the wall directly into the house uh, switchery. So he could just hit a switch and boom, there's three or four lights that would come on. It was absolutely amazing. And what he did, you know, just by putting so much thought behind it, just by putting so much care behind it, you know, when you went in there, you knew, yeah, this guy's a Corvette guy. He loves his Corvettes, but he's just a general enthusiast because everything he did was just revolving around the road, really. I mean, it was revolving around, you know, old AC Delco stuff and old Corvette stuff, sure. But he also had all the signage, you know, the stop signs, the stop lights, the don't walk signs or this, that, and the other. So you could tell he had a real passion with driving. You know, psychologically, if you look at it, He's gravitating toward those elements. He wants to convey his enjoyment in driving that vehicle, uh, you know, wherever it may take him. And so he's brought those into his garage. And here's a little two-car garage, standard issue garage. We all have one or we've had one. And they're limiting. I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it. They are, you know, for a car enthusiast, you know, you've got a family to take care of, so your garage has to pick up that slack. You're a car enthusiast, the garage has to pick up that slack too. It's hard. It's really hard to get a two-car garage to do everything, you know, we want it to do. But this guy did it. And I'll let you in on the biggest secret I've come across in this magazine, and I didn't know it. A shed is a garage's best friend. Every great two-car, one-car, three-car, every great standard-issue garage I've ever run across They've had a shed in the backyard, on the side yard. They've had a shed that held all the gardening supplies, that held all the, the holiday supplies, that held all the extras, all the familial stuff that families gather over the years. goes in the shed. It doesn't go in the garage. goes in the shed. As stupid or silly as it sounds, that's really what I've learned has been the secret to having a great you know, little two-car garage, which most of us have. You know? Sure. Well, listeners, now you know the secret. You just need a shed. You can get rid of all that exactly. extra stuff, and now you've got the garage back. So that's a, gr- a great exactly. story. Thanks for sharing that. As we walk down this journey with you, Don, I'd like to share a success quote with our listeners, something mm-hmm. that's been instrumental in forming your success. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Don, take the wheel. <laughs> okay, well, there's actually three uh, that I live by. And, I mean, there's a lot more. You're talking to a writer. You're talking to a journalist. I've been writing since I was a little boy, so I grew up loving quotes. But there there are three that probably, you know, I have around me all the time. One of them actually comes from a principal at Glendale High School where I attended. He always said it so fast and on a microphone. I never understood what he said. I'm deaf in my left ear, so it's really hard for me. I've got to really concentrate when people are talking. And this guy, I could just never understand him. So I, I pulled a friend aside and I said, what does he say when he rattles off that saying? What is he saying? Mm-hmm. He says, oh, it's a good, better, best. Never let it rest until the good is better and the better is the best. A little bit of a tongue twister. I love that. 
Yeah. It is, yeah. Good, better, best. Never let it rest until the good is better and the better is the best. That's a good and one. And I've always, yeah, I've always loved that. I, I always did. You know, one of the earliest ones I learned from my mom, actually, again, growing up in a Ford family, we're going to have some Ford quotes around. It was real simple, but it was whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Henry Ford. Yeah, Henry Ford, exactly. The, the third one that I live by is uh, Winston Churchill, and it was never, never... In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. I've always loved that one. It's not that I'm some sort of a war bird or anything, but, you know, in anything you do, it doesn't matter if you're in business or if you're just, you know, a regular guy working a nine-to-five job, it seems there's always something or someone out there who's trying to get you, who's trying to bring you down, and it could even just be yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, it could even be, you know, the devil inside you who's just trying to convince you that maybe you're no good or you can't do this or whatever. And, you know, here's the third or the second Henry Ford quote, and it goes hand-in-hand hand with this too. Any large task is not so large when it's broken down into small jobs. Mm. <laughs> and so when you step back and you look at any great picture that you want to accomplish, if you can take that whole picture and break it up into little segments and figure, okay, this is job one, this is job two, this is job three, and those three collectively, you know, they create the big picture. Um, I think that's very helpful, you know, if you can do it that way. So those are those are some of the quotes I, you know, kind of keep in my hip pocket. <laughs> sure. How have you incorporated those into your business, in your life, and your passion for cars? Um, you know, the the principles quote, good, better, best, uh, that can be applied pretty much anywhere. You know, again, growing up in a car family, we had cars all over the place. And one of the ones that I fell in love with at a young age was dragged home by my dad. He would always go to auctions and buy, you know, old equipment from uh, from states or counties or cities or whatever. And he'd drag it home and, you know, clean it up, paint it, restore it, sell it again and, you know, make a profit on it. One of the silliest things he dragged home was a 65 Mustang. None of us, including him, ever saw this coming. He bid on it blind. He didn't know what he was bidding on. When the dust had settled, he realized he made a mistake and he had bought a Mustang. Oh, my gosh. He didn't want yeah, and he didn't. He he had no intention of buying a Mustang that day. He was actually trying to buy a, a, a very small skip loader, which is called a Bobcat. I don't know if you've seen oh, those. Oh, sure. Not, yeah, I've driven one of yeah. those. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they're great little pieces of equipment. I love those things. Um, and he was he he actually had kind of a specialty with the Bobcat. So he was he was trying to buy a Bobcat. Something got messed up, and he ended up buying this Mustang. <laughs> well, isn't it funny? He, instead of a Bobcat, he got a Mustang. So he bid on the yeah. wrong animal. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. So he, he drags home this this uh, this Mustang, and my mom was just, you know, furious. She was just beside herself. You know, they were forming a new company at the time, and the last thing they needed to do was be throwing away, you know, money on these silly little cars. And this silly little car was very, very tired. It was a very, very dilapidated example of a Mustang. It was one of those silly little toys that ended up hanging around for a few years. And the next thing you know, you know, I started playing with it and I started liking it and I started buying, you know, I started going to all the swap meets and buying all the old advertising and the magazines that had anything to do with Mustangs. And I kind of, I, 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 I hate to say this, but I sort of fell for that lifestyle. 
the lifestyle that Ford was selling back in the 60s, you know, all the advertising, all the marketing campaigns through the magazines, everything like that, I just fell for it. I thought this is this is the lifestyle I want to lead. So mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was hooked. I was brought in. So I started talking to my mom and dad about, you know, instead of junking it or pawning it off to the next guy who comes along, let's let's break it apart. Let's, you know, let's fix it up. Let's let's make it nice. Well, my dad was an old drag race builder. He used to build drag racers and hot rods. And he had kind of been thinking the same thing about the Mustang. Instead of restoring it, let's, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's hot rod it. Let's, you know, let's put a 351 in it. Let's make it a little faster than, you know, it normally would be. And I was dead set against it. I thought, no, 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 no. We got to take it back to 1965. It's got to be this, that, and the other. So we butted heads a few times and ultimately, thank God I won Mm. and we started restoring the car. So right there you have your never give up quote. Mm Mm-hmm. Because here I was going up against, you know, the, the overwhelming might of the enemy, my dad. <laughs> yeah, so to speak. Yeah, and I was not going to give up. I wanted that car to go right back to 1965. And if for no other reason, I'd had so many friends tell me what a piece of junk it was. And I thought, no, this car's got a soul. There's something here. It's just got to be brought out, you know. Hmm. And so we did. We spent about four years uh, breaking it apart, restoring it, putting it back together, and that car actually had to be put back together, taken apart a couple of times because it just wasn't right. You know, things just weren't going together right. So there's your good, better, best part. And again, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And today that car is sitting in the driveway, polished up like a diamond, and it is just a stunning car, even if I do say so myself. So the car, in a way, kind of taught me, a stubborn kid by nature, things can be done. Sure. You know, things can get done. And that's kind of how the car, you know, taught me, yeah, you learn finesse. You learn how to deal with, you know, guys like your dad who are also stubborn, who want to do things their way. And now they're dealing with some punk kid like you. Yeah, you got to learn finesse. You got to <laughs> learn sales. You got to learn how to, you know, okay, how are we going to get this old man to see things my way? And, uh, you know, those are life skills that you learn and you don't even realize you learned them. You know, as you go through life, you're you're doing something. You're dealing with a particularly difficult personality, and yet you know how to get them to see things your way without losing sight of what they're trying to show you. You see things their way, but you also see that, no, wait a minute, my way is still better, so let's move down this road, but how do I get you to see that? And I don't want to say the car is 100% responsible for it, but the Mustang was largely, you know, that that was a huge learning curve. And also patience. Oh, my God. I mean, when you're restoring a car, it is insane how much patience you have to have, not just with waiting for parts or waiting for paint to dry or anything like that, but everything to come together. You know, there's so many little pieces that have to come together. You might have to find a part that, okay, Mustangs are catalog cars. You can get any part you want for one of those cars. But let's say you got uh, an old Packard or Duesenberg, you know, where do you find the fuel pump for that? You know, that that could be a little bit more difficult. So you got to learn the patience to figure out where to go get these things. You've got to have the patience to know, okay, I'm not doing this right. I'm installing this wrong. It's not going my way. I got to step away. I got to wait a minute, cool off, you know, and redo this. So, you know, you can see how it's snowballing into life. You know, you get into college and you have professors you don't like, you have projects you don't like, but you've got to get through them, you've got to do them. And on the side, you're doing other things that are fun. You're accomplishing things that are fun. You're setting things up that are fun. And, uh, you know, ultimately it it does snowball all the way to the doorstep of this magazine, Mm -hmm. uh, which up to date was my biggest challenge. You know, it was my, can you do this on your own? 
you know, you don't have a lot of money behind you. You don't have a workforce at all. You are doing this, you know, 95% on your own. You have your wife to run the books. You have a good friend to do design and layout. That's pretty much it, you know. And then everyone else I met along the way who wanted to help. And, it, you know, I hope this is all making sense. I'm kind of rambling, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's okay. You led right into my next question, and that was uh, going down uh, a road of challenge. And you really already answered the question in many ways. I was going to ask, share a huge challenge, maybe even a big failure that you've pushed past, something that got you to a breaking point that you pushed past, and more importantly, how you overcame the situation. And I think that's what you described there. And using the analogy of the car was uh, masterful. So you did a great job there. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Let's move on and shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum and share, Uh share a story when you had an aha moment in your business, your career. A time when you realized that an idea or concept you had was really going to make it, and tell us how you turned that aha moment into a success. Uh, the aha moment for the business would have been just what I said before. You know, we, we didn't have a workforce. We had me. And, you know, it was really funny. It gets to a point to where the magazine is growing. It's becoming overwhelming, even. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, you're at a car show, and up walks this guy, and he's really interested in the magazine. He thinks it's a great idea, and he has a good garage, and he loves, you know, the XYZ car the best, and he has a bunch of them in his house, and how can he help? Mm-hmm. So when somebody comes to me and says they want to help, initially, I'm not quite sure what to do with them. I'm, <laughs> Yeah, I'm overwhelmed, but I don't know how to give you instructions, so I take a step back, you know, and ultimately, it was picking up the phone and saying, well, this guy said he wanted to help. I need some help here. So I call him. The gentleman I'm thinking of is up in your neck of the woods. His name is Bill. And uh, I, there were some garages up there in the Seattle area. And I called him and I said, you know, I, you said you wanted to help. I've got some garages. Is there something you're interested in doing? He said, yeah, no problem. Hook me up with a phone number and I'm all over it. And next thing you know, boom, boom, boom. These garages are getting done. I'm thinking, wow, this is pretty cool. Was that uh, Bill Nakasoni? It is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a yeah, great guy. Yeah. yeah. He is. Yeah, he really is. Diehard car guy. He loves his Porsches, and, uh, but he can talk any language. I mean, he's, he's just a lot of fun to be around and just a great personality. Very, very smart man. Very intelligent guy. Um, another one is uh, a doctor out of uh, Tennessee by way of New York. Uh, his name is Dr. Rick Rader. And he was with us since day one as one of our, you know, early volunteers. Uh, he had some great ideas. He had great stories. And he contributes every quarter to the magazine uh, with the garages and history section. And sometimes he'll throw a couple other things in there. But he's always been you know, right by my side. And none of these guys have really ever asked for money or anything. They just want to be able to help. And if I can get them into a free car show once in a while, hey, great. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so well, that, that really was kind of my aha, was, was getting over, you don't have to do anything yourself. You, you can reach out, ask for help, and, you know, chances are somebody's going to be there and, and, uh, and, and help you out. Perfect. Well, that's a great way to move forward in life is to have uh, strong people around you and, and people that help you. So thanks for sharing that. Don, what was your first car? And maybe you can touch briefly on some stories about that car. Was it that Mustang or is there something else that was really your first car? Well, it's kind of, a, again, it's like asking me what's your favorite car. It's kind of a weird question. And I've, I've talked to you about this before, so I'm not sure where you want me to go. The Mustang technically 
you know, realistically was my first car. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my parents handed that over to me when I started tearing it apart and, you know, trying to restore it and learning very quickly. I wasn't very good at turning wrenches. That kind of realistically was my first car. If you ask my mom, she'll say, yeah, it was the Mustang. Now, here's an interesting question. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Oh, man. Uh, wow. Oh, my. I have a feeling I'd be something very off the wall. Uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people want to say they'd be a Ferrari or a Porsche or a Lamborghini, and that's great if they've got that mind and that personality. As much as I wish I could say that, I have a feeling I'd be something more along the lines of like a Fiat 500 from the old days. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm pretty quirky. I'm pretty absent-minded. Um, I love to have fun. Uh, I try not to take things too seriously. Uh, and that's very much in that personality. I have a Fiat 124 that I've had for 20 years now. I bought it when I was in college and I still have it. I love that little car. And that car really is the one that introduced me to, you know, kind of the Fiat lifestyle, so to say, with different people and this, that, and the other. And they, they really are a fun group of people. Sure. Um, so I, I, as much as some people are going to wince at me saying this, yeah, I'd probably say I'd, I'd probably be a Fiat 500 from the old days. Um, I'm thinking of Luigi from the movie Cars, you yeah. know, the tire car. Oh, yeah. And I, I remember how silly and goofy he was, and I'm thinking, yeah, that, that's that's kind of me, a little disorganized, a little, you know, it'll shock you when you least expect it. And I think, yeah, I think that's probably me. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, that's why I put yeah. that question in there. Don, we're up to a part of the talk I really enjoy called The Last Lap, and this is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Uh, You're you're just trying to get me to shut up. I understand fully. I got that. I got that. Okay, here we go. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Oh, boy. Um, Buy what you love. Buy what you love. Yep. Yeah, don't Uh, buy it for investment. That's a good one. Would you share one of your personal habits with us that you believe contributes to your success? Yeah, I, I guess it is the repetitiveness. One thing I try to do, and I'm not always very, very successful at it, uh, if I can plan tomorrow at the end of today, that's always a good thing. I have, I mean, not to get all into it, but I have quite a bit of ADD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if I get into the, the next day and I don't have a sheet in front of me that says, this is what you're doing, yeah, I can get lost real quick, and that that can mess up your whole day because you you just you're you're kind of fumbling as to where you're going, what you're doing. So if I have a sheet, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty good uh, what I'm doing. Be prepared. <laughs> That's a mm-hmm. good one. Yeah. Do you have a resource that you would share with our listeners that you really enjoy? Maybe it's a website that you visit often, or uh, an email that you get from another website you really enjoy. You know, I like shows like. And I'm not trying to replug it back on you, but I like shows like what you're doing. I like listening to other people. Anywhere I can get a, a biography of someone, anywhere I can listen to someone or read about someone. I One thing that I do, and this, this might sound really, really weird, I'll go on Google and I will Google whatever thought is on my mind. Mm. And Google comes up with, as you know, billions of different outlets for whatever's on your mind. And... I found a lot of resources that way. I mean, one of my favorite personalities to, you know, look at when I'm maybe a little flustered or something, a guy I've never met, but it's Sir Richard Branson, Mm. uh, Virgin Airways. Mm -hmm. 
And I've seen him interviewed several times. I've heard him interviewed several times. And he's, he's a really interesting personality. He started out, you know, very grassroots and music was his first thing. And he sold off that business to start Virgin Atlantic Airways. And one thing I thought was hysterical about this guy is initially he would have had trouble telling you the difference between gross and net. You know, when you're talking about money, you know, gross mm-hmm. profit, net profit, he had no idea what gross and net was. And, and he, he said at one of the board meetings, he had to stop them and say, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, what, what is net? What is this net? And what is gross? What's gross about our profit? He really thought it was, you know, grossness. Oh, my and, gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah. And they, they you know, here's their, the board's having a good laugh at, at this, but they're, you know, they, really, he was just so flat honest. So is there a website? Yeah, I guess it's Google. Google. I, I'll yeah. Think, yeah, I have a I have a question. I'll go to Google. And if Google can't answer it right off the top, I'll keep working with Google until I find something I like. Is there a book you've recently read that you would share with our listeners that you really enjoyed? Uh, there is. There's actually two, uh, and I'm glad you brought that up. One of them is Stephen King, of all people. It's called Mr. Mercedes, hmm. and uh, it, it's very interesting. It's, uh, it, it's, it's obviously about murder and mayhem and all that stuff, uh, but it, it's a great book. If you're looking to just kind of unplug from the world, you know, and I read quite a bit. I love reading just stories that take me away because they do. They just... They don't allow your mind to function much outside of what you're reading and comprehending. But the other book I just got uh, the other day from a, a writer called Ann Sherman, and it's called The Car Collections of Oklahoma. Oh, wow. Yeah, this book is, is beautiful. I couldn't believe when I, I got an email from her, and you know, I thought, okay, she's written a book about you know, car collections. That sounds kind of cool, but it's, it's Oklahoma. You know, why, who thinks of Oklahoma when they think of a car? But yeah, all of a sudden this book shows up, and I'm holding it right now. It, is, it weighs probably weighs five pounds. I mean, this thing, this thing's got some heft to it. Real long down, hard, hardback book. Uh, the photos are absolutely gorgeous. The stories are really, really what gets to you though. Again, we're back to those stories again, but she's interviewed the, a lot of the collectors down in uh, Oklahoma, such as uh, Don Fable, Glenn Prey, when he was still alive with us. Um, Ron Blissett, John Bowers. I mean, it goes on and on who she has photographed and, and spoken to. And she produced this book. There's not many of them. I think she only pressed um, 500 or 1,000 of these books. She's selling them herself. You know, it, it was one of the, she's one of those spirits that's out there doing it herself and, you know, just putting this thing together. And it, it's a beautiful book. It really is. Well, great. Well, listeners, I'll make sure that I post links to everything that Don shared with us here today at carsyad.com slash Don Weberg. And you can look those links up and find your way to those books and some of the other resources that Don's talked about. All right, Don, we're up to the checkered flag. You know what that means? We're nearing the end of the race here. Right. This last question is a bit of a challenge. You touched on it earlier, but I'm going to force your hand here. I call it a real doozy. If you could only Uh have one collector car in your garage. Uh Oh, yeah, something that you uh-huh. couldn't sell to buy many other cars with, so you can't buy that GTO Ferrari that's for sale for whatever <laughs> it's going to go for, $75 million is my guess, maybe more. So, uh, right. And money is no object here. What car would that be and why? This is painful. This hurts a lot. <laughs> oh, come on. Um, yeah, I, you know, gosh. 
one car, rest of my life, can't sell it, so it's got to be something I can drive pretty frequently and enjoy it. So that rules out one of my dream cars, which is Lamborghini Countach. I, I, you know, I'm six foot three, pretty heavy. I don't think the Countach and I get along for very long drives. So it comes down to either a DeLorean or an 88 BMW M6. Okay. Well, you've got to yeah, pick I, one. You you gave me three there. You've got to pick yeah. one. I, I got two because I ruled out the Countach. I, I think by a hair, by a hair, oh, my God, I think I'd go with the DeLorean just, okay. just by a hair. But, yeah, but by, yeah, yeah, I've always wanted that car. That really was my second dream car, uh, Lamborghini being my first. Mm-hmm. And, um, like I say, I don't really have one particular car that I love. It's just there are varying degrees of which ones are your favorites. And I can rattle off five that would probably be my ultimate favorite but to have one and live with it you know forever it's yeah probably be the delorean well that's why i asked that question it's a tough one for some people some people have it answered before i can get the words out of my mouth but once in a while (laughs) a hardcore car guy like you it's a tough one so thanks for uh, letting me force force you into that sure yeah well don you've taken us on a great ride today i've really enjoyed all your stories and and i appreciate you sharing uh, what you're up to and in your life with our listeners if you would give us one parting piece of guidance before we drive off into the sunset in that delorean and let our <laughs> listeners know what is the best way they can learn more about your business and then we'll say goodbye probably the best way is to go online we're at garage stylemagazine.com we have a subscribe link there you can even write to me and i probably be talked into sending you a free copy of the magazine uh we also have a newsletter that you can sign up for we have a lot of fun projects that we're working on so probably the easiest way is, is just to go online and find us at garagestylemagazine.com okay and one parting piece of guidance you know i say it all the time and it, it almost sounds cliche thanks to the nike ad but just do it mm-hmm. you know if you're thinking about it if it's nagging at you do it. You know, I started this business when I was 33 or 34, uh, shortly after I got married. And it, it was one of those things where at the time the economy was collapsing all around us. It was 2007. Things were starting to go bad. In 2008, things were getting from, you know, bad to worse. And it was, it was a bad moment to start any business. But at the same token, when is a good time? There's mm-hmm. no good time. Just do it. And it, it doesn't even have to be with starting a business. You know, it could be that DeLorean. It could be, you know, that house that you want that doesn't make sense for whatever reason, but you just want it. You know what? Go do it because at least at least you can say you tried it. Even if, you know, let's say I get that DeLorean or somebody gets that house or they start that business and it, quote unquote, isn't right. You know, the it's just too small or the house is too far away or the business, you know, uh, it's not what they really thought it was going to be. There's no failure in shifting gears, but there is failure in not trying. You know, if you don't try, you're going to be that old person in the old folks' home kicking themselves because you're at the twilight years here and you never tried. You well. never tried to do what you wanted to do. Wonderful words of wisdom. I appreciate you sharing those, and I hope a lot of folks out there who are listening to this are are truly inspired by that. I know that I am, so thank you. My pleasure. Listeners, you can find links to everything we've talked about here today at carsyeah.com slash Don Weberg, 
Just go to the Cars Yeah website, type in Don's name in the search bar, and you can find his show notes page. It'll pop right up. I want to thank you, Don, for being so generous with your time today, your expertise, and sharing so many of your experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. You got it. Thanks very much for your time, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!